Hey, welcome to the Neighborhood Conversations podcast. This episode contains the sermon from March 26th, and the scripture reading for this week is the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 24. It was nearly the time for the Jewish Passover, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who were selling cattle, sheep, and doves, as well as those involved in exchanging currency sitting there. He made a whip from ropes and chased them all out of the temple, including the cattle and the sheep. He scattered the coins and overturned the tables of those who exchanged currency. He said to the dove sellers, Get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it is written, Passion for your house consumes me. Then the Jewish leaders asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? What miraculous sign will you show us? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jewish leaders replied, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But the temple Jesus was talking about was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. While Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the miraculous signs that he did. But Jesus didn't trust himself to them because he knew all people. to find or encounter or experience. You can drop it in the chat if you can uh, shout it out. People, friends, hugs, music, coffee, amen to that. Huh? Jesus. Pizza. We do have pizza at Kid Stuff, you're right, and sometimes other times. Yeah, macaroni and cheese. All right, you got to come to our potlucks, our Soul Care Share potluck. We will give you some macaroni and cheese. Um, what else? Grace? Hey, sometimes I expect surprises, and sometimes you find them. Hmm? Humor. Yep, here you'll find that. Maybe not all churches, but I hope so. All right, um, so love. Yes, thank you, friends online. Hospitality. Inspiration. Everything. You are hilarious. Togetherness. All right, these are all good things, right? So I think sometimes, too, uh, that song, Hard Times Come Again No More, right? Sometimes we come pleading for that, right? What were you going to say, Dwight? Help one another. That's right. And I think that song, that song strikes me um, because because it was pretty new to, to Willow um, when they brought it. I don't think they're in here. It was pretty new to Willow. And then I was like, oh, yeah, one of our favorite folk singers sings Hard Times Come Again No More. Um, and then I, they found the original version. And it was written in 1854. So, like, before the Civil War, like, bef- that plea... That plea and desperation for hard things to not come again, right? For, for things to be a little better. Maybe that's part of what we come looking for. We encounter folks in this story, though, who Jesus was crossing paths with as he came into the temple in Jerusalem. Um, and this is folks coming to their place of worship, right? The high holiest place of worship, coming from across the miles, trekking in a pilgrimage-type worship on the high holy days. Um, and this religious 
place, this holy place, had already become an institution in and of itself, right? And these folks were coming to encounter God, coming to encounter the holy, maybe friends, maybe connection, maybe inspiration, maybe a plea for security. But there was a barrier. There was a requirement with a cost to be able to enter that holy space. And that's what Jesus is encountering here. I just want to make sure we all understand the context of this, right? In this practice, you had to make an offering, right? So you made a sacrificial offering, literally like offering of meat on an altar, right? Um, And the problem isn't that there is money or offerings happening in the temple, right? Because every religious group, like if you're going to have an organization exist, something has to support it, right? And so, like, the food that was cooked during the altar offerings fed the community and fed the priests, right? And it helped maintain the the facility so, like, people could come and worship, right? This is all part of it. But what's happening here is not just the, the, the offering. It was that you couldn't worship if you didn't make an offering. And if you didn't have anything to bring, you had to buy something, or if you had to trek too far, and then if you had to buy something, the money changers, right, they're jacking up the prices, the interest rates, think payday lending, right? And so there's exploitation happening that's creating this barrier to being able to encounter God. Does that make sense? So, Another thing to think about, though, is that the temple is already destroyed before anyone wrote down this story. I know that's hard for us to kind of think about, but like the folks who are hearing this story in any of the Gospels, it's in several of the synoptics, which mean Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and then this we're hearing it in John today. John's like the one that's a little different. If you've read through them, you kind of know um, that John's the one that's like kind of different in a lot of ways. Um, But it's in a lot of them, and, and the, every one of them, the temple was destroyed before it was written down. So everyone who's hearing this story already knows that the temple is destroyed, right? And then Jesus is talking about, I'll build my body up, right? So they get this metaphor that it's about Jesus's body, right? And so like uh, Walter Brueggemann, who is a source of one of the resources we're using, uh, the writer of one of the resources we're using as a jumping off point for this series, says, that when we hear temple, we should think Jesus. When we hear destroyed temple, we should think Friday crucifixion. And when we hear rebuilt temple, we should think Easter resurrection. Right? Got your metaphor there? Um, And a, a scholar named D. Mark Davis, excuse me, says that the Greek word used here for destroy can mean a lot of things, but it's most commonly the word used for loose So to lose something, and it's a very liberative word. And so he says, what if what Jesus is saying here is liberate this holy place, and I'll elevate it again in three days, which I kind of like that idea. Not just tear it down, but set it free. Liberate this place from all of this junk that's keeping us from God, and I'll bring it back. I'll make it whole again. So I want us to just hold this as we're thinking through these things and this story, right? And there is something to be, here, to be heard here about 
the permission to get angry. There's something to be heard here about getting run out of church when you're exploiting people, right? That maybe there's a time and a place for that. None of that's what I want to talk about today, but I'll like talk about this text all day, every day with anybody. This is my favorite shirt, Flip the Tables of Oppression. Uh, so I'm just saying, there's a place for righteous and holy anger. Now, one thing that's interesting, scholar David Lowe points out this. Most of the synoptic gospels, remember Matthew, Mark, and Luke, put this right at the very end. As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem um, for Passover, which becomes the Last Supper, which is the night before the crucifixion, which leads to Easter, right? It's the end of the story. And in all of those stories, it's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, right? He was already treading on thin ice with, like, the religious authorities, the political authorities, and, like, flipping tables and, like, disrupting the economy of the temple. Like, well, that's a little too far, thanks. And you're done, right? But John, it's at the very beginning. This is chapter 2. And what's interesting about that is, again, this different theology. We could have all kinds of Bible studies about the different focuses of the um, of the Gospels, but John's whole emphasis is this different approach to God, that what Jesus is doing here is taking away any barrier of access to God, and that that's the whole purpose of Jesus' ministry. And John is the one who goes on to say the familiar phrases you might have heard about, like, I am the vine, I am the water of life, I am the way, the truth, and life, right? Um, Jesus is saying, like, there's nothing between you and God because I'm right here with you. And I am all of the access to God that you need. And I am here for all of you, right? So this flipping of tables is cutting away any barriers um, between God and people. And, And it is about exploitation. And it is about disrupting this sacrifice requirement and this, like, barrier to be able to encounter God. And I wonder if it can lead us to think about what we seek in holy spaces, what barriers we have to get past, what we go to the temple seeking and willing to offer, willing to to sacrifice above and beyond, even if we know we're being exploited, right? What temples do we find ourselves in? Even though we go to temples, we go to these holy spaces seeking truth and healing, transformation and love, Now, this doesn't have to be church. We hear the word temple, we think religious place, but God shows up in all kinds of places, right? But sometimes, even when things seem right and good, and we're going with good intentions to seek these things, and we're willing to sacrifice, right? We're willing to show up. We we look up and we realize we're in the wrong temple, and it's not God at all. So for me, sometimes that looks like good planning, budgeting, meal planning, getting ahead of Monday before them kids need to be fed all the meals and snacks and things that got to be fed all week long, Um, and getting like maybe a well-thought-out plan in place for some barrier in our neurodivergent household. That's a lot of my brain power some days. Um, And then I end up going to the store, right, and wandering Kroger or Target over at Edgewood, getting my things with good intentions, good planning, good love, good momming, right? But somewhere in that, I find myself wondering, what could I buy? I mean, this is due to lot for them. What could I buy that I could just treat myself a little? But then that quickly, I realize, turns to or 
is under, underlying is what could I buy that would just make me feel better? And then all of a sudden I look up and I realize I'm in the wrong temple. Target is not going to offer me love despite their best marketing efforts uh, or healing or transformation as much as I might wander that beauty aisle, right, and feel like something might be a treat that would make me feel better or office supplies. Those are the other thing. Turns out real love and healing does not lie in any of those aisles. Or maybe, again, best intentions, we strive to succeed at school or in our work or our career, likely something we enjoy and we really care about. And maybe we, learn, we earn many accolades for. But someday, we look around and we realize, wrong temple. It may not be all bad, but if our whole self-worth is wrapped up in that endeavor, we're going to realize someday that that is the wrong temple because this isn't transformative love just because I'm me. There's some barrier, there's some earning, there's some exploitation, there's something I have to sacrifice of myself in a problematic way if I have to earn love. That's not the love I'm looking for. Wrong temple. Sometimes we find ourselves in places where we are entrusted with power that can lead to access and influence, and, and this isn't bad, right? Um, I've recently joined the board of a nonprofit I care deeply about and want desperately to do its good work. Um, and all of a sudden, there's all this information and people that I'm getting to connect with that I love, right? And, I'm, and I've envied or admired from, a, long, from a, a distance for a long time and feel totally not at their level, right? But just trying to show up and do my part. So it's not all bad, but it's important to always have ways that we are constantly checking ourselves and holding ourselves accountable because power and access and influence in any setting, particularly if we don't realize how much we have, can get really tempting really fast. And maybe we start sacrificing things or people or exploiting things or people. And at what cost? And you can blink and find yourself saying, oh, wrong temple. And y'all, this can happen at church. I mean, I can only speak for myself in this, but I struggle with this as I fight for justice in our denomination. Um, that's familiar, all too familiar to some of you and foreign to others of you, and that's great <laughs> if you don't have to carry that. We're working on it for you. Um, but I have to stay deeply connected to the guiding of the Spirit and what God is doing in the lives of people outside of the church to not accidentally make the United Methodist denomination into a temple because it's the wrong temple. Or many of you have shared experiences where churches seemed wonderful and truly loving. You had found your place there in your community until you cross the threshold into leadership and they cut you off because of your gender or your sexuality. Oops, wrong temple. Or I've heard church folks in places where I've worked say, we'd like to keep the pew pads. Do any of y'all know what I'm talking about? Old-timey church folks will know the pew pads where you sign in and pass it down, sign it in, and then people go through and tear off the list at the end of the week, right? We have these lovely connect cards, QR codes, whatever, where if you want to connect with us, you can. But 
pew pads was the thing that you could pass down. And I've heard people say, we'd love to keep those. And we talk about that. Yeah, okay, well, here's what we're doing instead to gather information, to get to know each other, whatever. No, 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 no. I don't want to know them or have a relationship with them. I just want to know who they are. Like, for gossip? Um, I don't know. Or heard someone say in a church that I've worked in, oh my, I don't think I could stand to do Bible studies of any kind on social justice. It would just make me feel so sad. And I get that, right? I get it. But even at church, we can find ourselves worshiping at the altar of keeping our own comfort zones. Oops, wrong temple. Theologian David Lowe says to think about centripetal and centrifugal force, forces. Um, okay, so sciencey folks, I think this metaphor falls apart fairly quickly. I do think it has something to offer us, so we're just going to hold it for what it is, and we're not going to try to extend it past its usefulness, okay? So just shake it off if it gets, like, tricky for you. But the idea, if you're not a science person who immediately knew what I was talking about, um, centripetal force pulls into the middle, right? And centrifugal force, which I'm probably mispronouncing, pushes out, right? There's the ride where you spin around and everybody gets, like, pinned to the wall. And I don't know if they still do that. Gravitron. Yeah, I don't know if those are still, like, okay for insurance or if they've gone the way of all the other fun rides that killed us. Um, but this idea that an organization or a temple, if we're using that metaphor, or anything that draws us in can have this pulling to the center effect, pulling in only to strengthen its own force of power. And David Lowe says that's probably not God, right? but then this centrifugal force that pushes out, right? So seeks to send out the good of its core out into the world, out into something beyond itself, and sending its force and power and energy out into the world instead of pulling in power and energy and strength only to its core. So I just think it's really important to remember there's no earning access to God. And and there's no, anything that is of God is never going to seek only to grow God's own power. God's got enough power, right? And in fact, part of the point of Lenten practice, we're in the season of Lent, preparing for Easter, um, and it's a time of, a time of um, penitential reflection, making space, clearing out, making room for God to do this transforming resurrection work. And part of that practice is to remember that God consistently centers power in humility and servanthood. And we'll see that as we draw closer and closer and closer to Good Friday and death and resurrection. Jesus tries to teach the disciples this again and again and again in a world that does not let that make any sense. And that constantly, Jesus and God are offering liberation for all people, wholeness and humanity, especially folks that the world they live in seeks to deny their full humanity. And liberation is healing, is transformation, is love, right? Pushing out to the world with no barriers. So when you find yourself in situations like that, whether it's named as a holy space or not, that's the right temple. And that's where you'll find God. And that is the embodiment of Jesus. 
Again, Dr. Walter Brueggemann reminds us that if we find ourselves in the wrong temples, imagining or focusing our lives in misguided ways, or find ourselves committed in wrong directions, which is so easy in a world that is in a society shaped by exploitative capitalism and white supremacy and cis-heteropatriarchy, it's so embedded in everything. We are not bad people if we find ourselves aligned with these forces in different ways. But part of this practice of living life with Christ is to realize that it's the wrong temple and that remember that there is always hope and that Christ always offer opportuni- offers opportunities for repentance, which simply means letting go and turning around, turning back to recenter and reconnect with God. And Brueggemann says, our work in Lent is to move from these fake temples to the true temple, who is Jesus. Jesus is the place, the holy place of connection and centering with God, where we are invited to be part of a different kind of life, full of liberation and healing and transforming love, not just for ourselves, but for everyone we encounter as we spin that force out into the world. May it be so, friends. May it be so. Neighborhood Conversations, produced by Neighborhood Church in Atlanta, Georgia. You can learn more about us at neighborhoodchurchatl.com, and on our website you can find links to our weekly live streams, and you can find out what's going on in the neighborhood. Find us on social media, and don't forget to subscribe. Peace be with you.